using an overpriced trash bag. Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks. Whippy, whippy, whippy. Or a smelly bag. Stinky, stinky, stinky. Time to switch to Hefty Ultra Strong Trash Bags, always at an ultra low price. Hefty, hefty, hefty. There are best bags yet, and they cost less than Glad Force Flex were sold head to head. So you'll be happy, happy, happy. Hefty Ultra Strong with Arm and Hammer Odor Control. Available at Sam's Club. Hefty, hefty, hefty. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to The Change Agent's Dilemma for Tuesday, October 14th, 2014. I'm your host, Heather Stagel, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, as I do once a month on Blog Talk Radio. This show is one of the many ways I help equip individuals and teams to influence organizational change at Enclaria. The Change Agent's Dilemma is how to influence change without authority, and my goal with the show is to share ideas and stories to help you do just that. Today, my guest is Skip Wiseman, who is here to talk about the four workplace conversations. Leadership and workplace communication expert Skip Wiseman spent the first 20 years of his career serving as CEO for five different professional baseball franchises. He was promoted to CEO of his first baseball team at just 26 years old, and the leadership growing pains he fought through are fodder for the leadership communication lessons his audiences experience in his talks. Since 2001, Skip has been working with organizational leaders and their teams to create high-performance results by transforming interpersonal communication skills. Since 2011 and the release of his signature white paper report, The Seven Deadliest Sins of Leadership and Workplace Communication, he has presented to more than 10,000 people at national and international conferences for the Project Management Institute, the Society for Human Resources Management, and many business and trade organizations across the, across the United States and Canada, Skip, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Thank you, Heather. So uh, you got to tell me, how did you go from being a top executive in a minor league baseball, in minor league baseball, to becoming a workplace and leadership communication expert? Well, um, it's an interesting story. You know, I was involved in baseball for 20 years. It was the only thing I ever wanted to do since I was about seven years old. Was be involved in professional baseball, and I was able to make that happen. Uh, but as I got older, uh, around the age of 37 years old or so, it, it was not as much uh, fun and glamour as it had been when I was like 25, living and working at the ballpark. And the baseball lifestyle is pretty all-encompassing, especially during the season for six months. And I literally just got tired of living at the ballpark and spending my you know, waking days and nights there. And so around my 17th season, I just said, I can't do this anymore. And... Um, you know, went through one of those self-reflection times and actually was also going through a divorce at the time. And I just looked at what my skills were that I had built up over 17, 18 years of leading baseball organizations. And uh, it seemed like I was able to build some good quality administrative teams. And as a matter of fact, even to this day, there's probably like five or six people that have come up through me um, back in those days that are still running their own professional sports organizations. And one was even running a, a major college athletic department. And so I just figured... You know, if I was pretty good at developing people, I might be able to help other people do that, uh, and especially in the small business realm. And so I just took about two years uh, while I was winding down my baseball career to figure out how I could build a business of my own to help uh, help business leaders improve you know, uh, their teamwork and communication in their workplaces. And so I just, just started to build a small clientele on the side uh, during the baseball uh, years. I had a good... Uh, 
clientele from my uh, sources, from my season ticket holders for the teams and the advertisers and sponsors from from my little local team in our community here. And so I used that as sort of a, a launching pad to start my practice. And um, after our, uh, about two years of doing that, I told the owner of the baseball team it was time for me to move on and do something else. And uh, I left after the 2001 season and have not looked back. And everybody asked me, well, do you miss it? Because everybody thought I had the greatest job in the world. And for 17 years, I did. Um, right. Uh, but uh, no, I love my lifestyle now. It's totally different, and but I'm still a sports fan. I still stay, you know, relatively close to the game. From but I'm just a fan now, which is which is a nice place to be. Great. So you lived, you've been able to live two American dreams: being in baseball and owning your having your own business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it, it, I feel very fortunate. You know, very. And uh, can say they they chose their profession at the age of seven and actually were able to fulfill it and 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 live that out. So I feel uh, very grateful for it. Had a great experience. It was a great life. And uh, uh, now I have a second career that's just as rewarding and, and exciting. Great. So let's talk about that one. So what do you find as the biggest issue with communication in the workplace today? Well, you know, if you go into organizations and you probably experience this, and you ask people what's you know what needs to be improved or what's wrong, everybody just says communication. It's like this big umbrella thing that everything they just throw everything underneath <laughs> communication. Um, <laughs> you know, and but what ha- what happens is no one ever really defines it. it. It just gets lumped in under communication. Everybody throws their hands up, and you know nobody communicates around here. There's poor communication. Um, and so the biggest issue I think is just really putting a stake in the ground to say you no, know, we're going to do something about this and defining it. You know, it, it's a great concept. Uh, you know, but nobody ever really defines it. So you can do anything with it. You know, you can talk to to marriage counselors and therapists. You know, and they'll tell you, you know, what, what's the biggest problem with, with relationships? Well, it's communication. Well, it's great. Well, you know, well, let's define it, and because until you define it, you can't do anything with it. Um, and so, you know, I find that you know, there's a lot of un, unsaid things. You know, the elephants in the room, and you know, the 300 pound, 3,000 pound gorilla in the room, or whatever you want to call it. Nobody's talking <laughs> right. about it. They're dancing around it. Uh, and and but we keep just blaming communication, but nobody right. has the you know the uh, intestinal fortitude, as my old college bas- uh, high school basketball coach used to say, you know, to step up and deal with it. And so, you know, my signature talk that you mentioned in my introduction is the seven deadliest communication sins, and one of those is just a lack of directness and candor. Uh, and so if I had to pick one of my seven communication sins that was the biggest, it, it really comes down to uh, to two things. It's the lack of directness and candor, uh, and then the other one is the lack of specificity. And, and those two things cause probably 80% of the communication issues uh, in a workplace or even in, in a relationship or, or in a family. Definitely. So you've defined communication in, in one way, which is the four workplace conversations. Can you tell us a little yeah, bit that, about that uh, and, and yeah. uh, where that came from? You know, that that that's actually a pretty funny story. I think it, it it came to me about a year and a half ago when I was facilitating a training with a client, and we were going through this program that's called uh, communication without conflict. You know, how, or how to have a confrontation without conflict and to, and to deal with these elephants in the room that nobody's dealing with. Uh, and it was a senior leadership team of about ten or eleven people at a very large regional hospital, uh, animal hospital here in our area. And this was a 
five-week program. We met for two hours a week over lunch for five weeks, like five lunch and learn sessions. And it was a very direct curriculum, and they had homework at the end of each session to go practice their communication uh, with their, their colleagues. And so the second week in the session, you know, I did an opening debrief, you know, what's, what's working for you, what worked, what didn't work in the, in the week since we left. And one of the guys raises his hand and asks a question at the very beginning, and he says, you know, I find that I'm really having trouble getting my point across, getting my voice heard with the managing partner of the hospital. And he said, well, tell me more about that. And he, you know, explains a little bit more about what's going on. And I saw, so I looked at him and I said, you know, well, you know, Dave, it sounds like you're having the wrong conversation with the right person. Uh, which you know, the right person was his boss. It was the managing partner of the hospital. Uh, and yet he could never get the, his point. Uh, his managing partner would always kind of usurp the conversation and take it to his agenda, and he could never get his, his voice heard. And so I just said, well, you're, you're in front of the right person. You're just having the wrong conversation. Uh, and he agreed. And I said, so let's talk about some strategies, how you can be a little more assertive and make sure you know you connect with them. And so we went on with the training after that, and at the end of the training, uh, two women were in the in the program. One was a CFO and one was a COO, Chief Operations Officer, and they're sitting side by side, two two women. And the COO raised her hand and asked me a question at the end. And she said, you know, Cheryl and I, who's a CFO, we, we have these conversations all the time about decisions that need to be made in, here at the hospital, uh, and we're both on the same page, and we 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 know these things are good good for the hospital if we, we made these adjustments. But we don't have the authority to implement. And so so I said, well, how long has this been going on? Well, we, we talk about this stuff sometimes for weeks or months, and uh, we, it never goes anywhere. I said, well, Marianne, it sounds like you're having um, the right conversation, but with the wrong person. Uh, because you know they were both in agreement. Was, they both knew it was good for the hospital, and, the, and so it was probably the right conversation to be having. But it was with the wrong person because neither one of them could do anything about it. And so, right in that instance, I realized that well, I just had this other conversation with this this other guy earlier about this one conversation. Now I'm talking about this other conversation. So right in the moment, I flipped the clean clean page on the on the flip chart pad over, and I drew this double access chart. And across the top, I put person, and, and, and down the down the column on the left, I put conversation, and then I put wrong to the left and right to the right side of the the, the vertical bar. Mm-hmm. And I did the same thing on the left. Above the bar was right, and below the bar uh, was was wrong. And I said, there's four conversations you could be having at any point in time in in an organization. Um, and so we've got. You can have the wrong conversation with the wrong person. You can have the wrong conversation with the right person. You can have the right conversation with the wrong person or the right conversation with the right person. Uh, And in that moment with this team of 10 or 11 leaders from this uh, regional animal hospital, I said, let's talk about this. And we just flushed out those four conversations, and they all agreed that all, most of, three of the four of them were taking uh, most of their time. Uh, and they were all struggling with getting to that upper right quadrant of the right conversation with the right person. 
and so I really, this really was created out of a case study from from this client work that I did in this training about it was about a year and a half ago. It was the spring of uh, 2013, and I've talked about this at conferences and seminars and webinars, and everybody seems to think this really makes a lot of sense, and they find themselves stuck in mostly three of these four conversations that are not productive or not moving, uh, you know, moving relationships and issues forward in in companies. So that's Very the sort of general overview of where the four conversations came from. When you said that people were, that the people at this hospital were saying that they were spending most of their time having the wrong conversations, why why are people engaging in so many of the wrong conversations? Do you think? Uh, well, a lot of it has to do with uh, really their own communication abilities. Number one, because they don't. They, they don't step up to having the right conversations for fear that they don't they're not going to have the right conversation or they're they're going to say something wrong and it's going to go wrong um and so they they don't have necessarily the the communication skills that they think they need uh to have the, the right conversation or the other person um they don't have the relationship with the other person to have that credibility or the standing or the trust between them and and so they, you know, as you've probably seen, they they avoid it, or they've tried it before and it didn't go so well. And so we, you know, learn. I'm never going to do that again. Um, you know, you can't talk to that person or whatever. And we build these beliefs about other people that uh, uh, that get in the way. And so, and I, and I think a lot of times people have the best of intentions, uh, and sometimes in having conversations, uh, but since they they get pushed back, or they they may not have the the other person may have a stronger personality, and so they you know again they take the conversation in a particular direction, and they can't get it back on on track. Um, but it just it seems like people really oftentimes at the very beginning don't uh, don't set an agenda or set an intention for the conversation, so they really don't know exactly where they want to take it, and they have some some options. When I first started learning uh, some of this stuff on communication, especially interpersonal communication, one of, one of the coaches and trainers I was working with said, you know, oftentimes in these conversations, it's like playing tennis at the net. And I used to play a lot of tennis when I was younger, and I still still play some. You know, and it's funny because uh, my wife and I play sometimes, and she just hates playing doubles because she hates being up at the net because it's it's very intense and balls are coming at you quickly and you've got to move you know uh, from one side to another real quickly to to adjust as the balls are coming at you because you have less time right than you know, than you do if you're in the backcourt and so she doesn't like playing playing doubles or playing up front like that and it's it's often conversations like this are often the same way because you're going to say something and somebody's going to say something back and you need to know where you're you're going next um, and so. We don't practice that. You know, we just dive in, uh, and oftentimes it goes it goes wrong. So we learn through those experiences, you know, not to not to engage in those conversations, and so we just we just shy away from them, and we stay stuck, and we stay frustrated, and and we're not able to move our agenda or move the organization's agenda uh, forward, and we just stay stay stuck in these wrong conversations and. Um, it's it's a challenge for people to identify the right conversation because even sometimes I've found in, in doing this work and coaching people through this model that oftentimes we think we're having the right conversation uh, or we think we're going to have the right conversation, 
but we don't because we don't even know the right conversation that we should be having. Um, and so sometimes that takes a little insight and outside coaching as well. Okay. Well, and I was going to ask, because you've talked about having the right conversation with the wrong person, where you, you're, you're talking about the right issues, but with somebody who can't really do anything about it, and mm-hmm. then having the wrong conversation with the right person, so you actually have the audience of the person who can do something, but it's not really getting to that point. So right. I was curious about what does it look like to have the wrong conversation with the wrong person, and what does it look like to have the right conversation with the right person? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, if you think about what the wrong conversation would be like with the wrong person, um, in my little model here, I, I basically call that, um, you know, that those are BMW conversations, and that's the bitching, moaning, and whining. <laughs> uh, right, and and that that occurs in many organizations at, at one level or another, um, but it's just the, the people that complain about stuff, <clears throat> you know, and they're just venting and. People ask me in my workshops all the time, is you know, is venting bad? I said, no, venting's not bad. We all need to blow off steam and uh, and, and get our frustrations heard and, and everything. So there's nothing wrong with, with that. The, the challenge is too many people stay there for too long. And if you're the ventee uh, and you agree to uh, take that on, you know, when do you when do you stop it? You know. Uh, do you get, put a time limit on it? Do you just let the person vent forever? Do you try and move them to a different conversation? Um, and what are you teaching that other person? Can they always come to you and, and just vent and, and let off steam? Um, and how productive is that? And so uh, those type of conversations I find often uh, are enabled they're, uh, and they're permitted to go on way too long and are not moved to you know, the type of conversations that we need to be having, and they waste a lot of time and energy in organizations. And we need to need to train and coach people how to deal with that to create a more productive, uh, but also positive work environment where people can, uh, you know, share their thoughts and and frustrations, uh, but to use it in a productive way and move them forward. So, you know, the worst conversation out of the four, <clears throat> you know, I think is the the wrong conversation with the wrong person because it's no no one in that situation can do anything about it uh and so it's it's okay for a little while and what i tell people if, if you find yourself down there and you're the ventee and somebody's venting to you uh set a time limit <clears throat> and you know i use this thing called the echo technique <clears throat> uh, which is empathize clarify confront and offer and <clears throat> you know that would sound something like well you know heather i can i can see you're really frustrated and and upset about this because of the way you're treated um, and I can certainly appreciate that. And I'm, I'm just wondering, um, are you telling me this because you just want to vent <clears throat> and get it off your chest, or would you really like some help and strategize ways that you can do something about this? And I'm willing to you know, work with you in either of those ways. Uh, just know that if you're just venting, I've got about three to four minutes because I have to get back uh, to something I'm working on. I have a deadline today. Um, if you really want to work on it, and strategize ways that you can uh, move things forward. Uh, I can't do it right now because we're I'm on deadline, but I'd love to schedule some time with you later today or first thing tomorrow morning, and we can let's let, let's go for coffee and strategize how we can do this. Um, and so what you do is you you sort of confront the issue right there in a very empathetic way and say, you know, if you're just venting, that's great. Uh, I've got three minutes for you if you want to work on it. Uh, let's schedule some time when we can really strategize how how I can help you work through this. Um, so that will stop it and nip it in the bud, and you won't be wasting all that much time. 
with that wrong conversation. A great technique. So then on the flip side of that, then, what does the right conversation with the right person look like? Well, that's that's where I think, you know, real things can happen in an organization. It's where, you, it's where you're really problem-solving, uh, problem solving. Uh, you're moving things forward, you're strategizing, um, and it really feels good and positive because both people, you know, are on the same page or it's moving things uh, proactively um, in the right direction at least. Um, and, you know, sometimes, you know, I tell people, you know, just just because you're having the right conversation with the right person doesn't mean you're going to get your way or you're going to get your outcome. But at least you're able to voice your opinion and you feel heard and um, you get uh, resolution to things. And so, you know, we just have to look for what those right conversations are with the right people. Um, and one of the trainings I was doing a few months ago, I was uh, was there's about 20 people in the, in the training when I do my uh, my communicate to influence trainings, and I pair people up. They do role playing uh, on real life situations, real life conversations that they need to be having with people in their organization. And this one woman was role playing with with another, and I was just sort of being a fly in the wall. I was listening in the background and, and listening to the conversation, and she was trying to influence her boss about the situation, and what I had heard in the setup was that she didn't have a really good relationship with her boss, and her boss did not trust her. Um, she was a project manager who felt that uh, she was um, uh, she was taking the side of an outside vendor on this project as far as a product that they were looking to implement instead of looking out for the best interest of the company and the organization she was with. And yet this woman was still trying to influence her boss to take certain steps to implement this thing uh, and use nuanced language to, to convince her, basically, to, to move forward with this. And I looked at her and I said, I said Judy, you, you just told your partner here that your boss doesn't trust you and, and that she thinks you're taking the side of the vendor on, on this product, not your organization. That's the wrong conversation <laughs> that you're trying to have with her because she doesn't trust you. The right conversation in that in this situation is you have to first talk about the relationship and ask for feedback and say, well, what's what's your evidence for me not you not being a team player, not being on the side of the organization here? What makes you think? What have I said or done that makes you think I'm taking the side of the vendor here? Uh, and that's the right conversation. You have to flush that out and, and and rebuild that trust that you you have the best interest of the company in mind and you're not don't have the best interest of the vendor in mind. Because as long as she believes that about you, this conversation that you want to have is not going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so she thought she was having the right conversation with the right person in that role play, and really she wasn't because the right conversation was about the relationship. And I find a lot of people get stuck in those type of situations because uh, as frustrating as it is not to move the situation forward, it's at least they feel like they're doing something, and it's less um, less fearful, less stressful than having the conversation about the relationship, and so they shy away from that. And so I do a lot of coaching. I'm making sure people are are really have what is the right conversation in this situation? You may think it's this, but quite frankly, it might be this. Um, and it's it's tough oftentimes to do on our own without not outside some outside eyes and perspective. Sure. Yeah. So often we don't even think that's the conversation that we need to have 
because we don't really want to have it, so we don't even go there, right? Right, right. So it's you know, either we know it and we shy away from it, or we're just not sure because we're not used to this type of concept, uh, and so we just do it, you know, what we've always done, you know, and then fall back into those habits. Okay, so what can people do to have more of the right conversations? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I think you have to really be um, more aware, you know, of of where you're at in this model, and uh, and also really focus on what what your real outcome is and and what's getting in the way. You know, when I a lot of the feedback I get when I do my communicating to influence trainings is is, is that at the end of the day, people don't realize how much uh, they really need to focus on their relationship. You know, when I started my program, I said, "Have you ever, have you ever tried to influence somebody, you know, in a conversation or ask them to to do something with you or for you, and you didn't have that really good relationship? You didn't have a lot of trust. You didn't have a lot of respect between each other or whatever, and you still tried to communicate to influence them. Um, and a lot of people have all had that situation. They say." I have. And I said, well, what was that like? How did that go for you? And most people say it didn't go very well. You know, uh, people gave me lip service or they were passive aggressive and then there was no follow through or whatever. I said, well, the reason why we do so much work in this program on assessing the relationship is you've got to, before you can even think of, uh, you know, having the right conversation with the, the person on this topic, you're not there yet. You really have to look at the relationship. And how can you get the relationship with that other person to a point where they trust you and vice versa? Um, and so we do a lot of work on assessing the relationships with people. And there's a scale of 1 to 10. 10, high trust. They see you as a peer and a valued partner and all this stuff. Um, and they know you're, you have their best interests in mind and the company's best interests in mind. Or that that would be a 10. And one, you, you know, you can't even stand to look at each other, you know, when you walk past each other in the hallway. Well, if that's the case, you've got a lot of work to do on the relationship before you can even think of having the right conversation with them. And so in that moment, the right conversation is about the relationship. Hey, Heather, you know, for whatever reason, we got off to a bad start. And um, I will take, you know, responsibility for, for that from my perspective, and I really apologize. We need to work together. What can we do to uh, to start doing that? Uh, and, how you know, how can I help you? And, and be very humble uh, and be very vulnerable in those situations, ask for help, and, and say, you know, I'd like help in rebuilding our relationship and whatever. It got off to a bad start. That's really the, a lot of the conversations we need to have uh, before we can have the conversations you would like to have <laughs> to move things forward, uh, to build relationships in a work environment that uh, you know, have been damaged or just got off to the wrong foot. And so... It's it's uncomfortable places for people to be, and they're difficult conversations to have. Uh, but really, it's, it's the only healthy way to <laughs> to live and work. Definitely. Well, and how do you make sure? So that's how do you make sure you have the right conversation? But how do you make sure you're talking to the right person? That's a that's a great question. Uh, you have to look at what what your outcome is, uh, and and. And just sort of evaluate and assess um, can they uh, can that person get you what you need uh, or or what you want um, and and what is your you know what is your history uh, with that with that person so um, if I were to bring this issue to this person, can they resolve it for me? Can they move it forward? 
um, do they have the resources to do it, and do they have the the connections or or the budget or 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 even the uh, the mindset? You know, do they care enough? Um, you really just have to assess who the right person is. Um, and I think most the the other thing one of the one of the things in the right conversation with the wrong person that's not necessarily a bad conversation to be in uh, because oftentimes that can be <clears throat> a referral situation where uh, I know Heather you're not the right person but you have a connection with the right person so I'd like to speak with you and maybe you can refer me into that person um, and so you might spend some time in that quadrant with the, having the right conversation with the wrong person. In that context, they're not really the wrong person. They're the right person for that context, but I use that language just to uh, to let people know that it's it's really a stepping stone. It's not the end result you're after. Um, and so so that can be very, very important. But you, just, you really just have to assess what's your outcome and then look and say, is this person capable of getting me the outcome that I'm after? Um, and most times you, you have a pretty good sense, and sometimes you won't know. Sometimes you might think you're in front of the right person until you broach the conversation and you realize uh, you're not. And this happens in sales often when we think we're in front of a buyer who can make a buying decision, but they don't have a budget, uh, but they make us feel good, um, right? And they string us along, but at the end of the day, we realize, well, that was not really the right person. We have to talk to somebody else above them to really, you know, get it. So in sales, it happens all the time that we end up talking to the wrong person when we think they're the right person. And then we just have to get out of it and move quickly towards towards the right person as, as best we can. Great. So where can listeners go to learn more about how to improve workplace communication? Well, I have a couple of websites. One is workplacecommunicationexpert.com, uh, and I have some resources there. There's, I wrote a white paper a year ago called How to Transform Your Workplace from Drama and Defensiveness to Employee Initiative and Ownership, and there's a free white paper there that people can download if they have workplace drama issues, which is all based in communication challenges. And, and then I have a website called howtoimproveleadershipcommunication.com, and that's where they can pick up my free white paper on the seven deadliest communication sins in the workplace. Um, so those are two resources that people can uh, can grab some uh, of the topics of how to improve workplace communication and, and work through these four conversations. Great. Skip, thank you for being here. Heather, thanks for having me. Look forward to hearing more from from you and uh, and your listeners. And, and best of luck with the work you do, because I know it's it's greatly needed in, in in business today. Thank you. And coming up next month on Tuesday, November eighteenth, Roger Dean Duncan visits the show to discuss his book, Change Friendly Leadership. Thank you for listening to the Change Agents Dilemma. If you'd like to find more resources to help you influence change in your organization, including individual coaching, team workshops, and upcoming training events, please visit Inclaria.com. And while you're there, sign up for my monthly newsletter and receive 12 free templates from my Change Management Toolkit, the Irresistible Change Guide. Until next time, take care and best wishes for your change initiative. Using an overpriced trash bag. Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks. Whippy, whippy, whippy. Or a smelly bag. Stinky, stinky, stinky. Time to switch to hefty, ultra-strong trash bags. Always at an ultra-low price. Hefty, hefty, hefty. There are best bags yet, and they cost less than Glad Force Flex were sold head-to-head. So you'll be... Happy, happy, happy. Hefty, ultra-strong with Arm & Hammer Odor Control. Available at Sam's Club. Hefty, hefty, hefty. 
Using an overpriced trash bag. Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks. Whippy, whippy, whippy. Or a smelly bag. Stinky, stinky, stinky. Time to switch to hefty, ultra strong trash bags. Always at an ultra low price. Hefty, hefty, hefty. There are best bags yet, and they cost less than Glad Force Flex were sold head to head. So you'll be happy, happy, happy. Hefty, ultra strong with Arm and Hammer odor control. Available at Sam's Club. Hefty, hefty, hefty. 